0: and welcome to the garth yard again for another outdoor version of Kristen whisper sonnets coming from my front yard where um there's still a big impression of a dead tree that i read to you guys about a couple weeks ago and um but the weather has changed and it's lovely and so i decided i wanted to podcast outside again hopefully um the construction in my neighborhood sounds minimal today so if you hear some little hammers in the background I think one of my neighbors might be doing a um some kind of a project because I hear that but no major houses being um you know redone right now which is actually sad because we all everybody that lives here has major projects we're all waiting um to get back to normal um, like I would like to have some floors and some walls but I've finally almost gotten through the winter with no insulation or half insulation in my house so now that that's done maybe with my luck that means as a spring approaches that's when everything will start to change but anyway enough pouting about um, houses <laughs> I have a house and it's lovely in many ways but I'm going to let it go. <laughs> okay, I am going to Whisper Sonnets today. And today we are um, I'm, actually, it's kind of fitting that I was pouting about this because it reminds me my whole theme today is I Am Snowflake. And it's starting out with a poem about Ted Cruz's dog that he left behind in um, Texas when he went to Cancun recently. And there's a famous picture of the dog you know with its little cute poodle or I don't know how to say the breed I'm gonna uh, that other people say that it is not a poodle so I'm not even gonna embarrass myself by trying but um <laughs> anyway I'm not I don't know a dog breeds or anything so I've never had a dog I'm I actually to confess something here afraid of dogs from a childhood situation so Know nothing about them, but I think they're very cute. And this dog is incredibly cute, and it was just such a um, emotional picture because you know this man who is a public servant in theory, you know, uh, you know, is back in his home state of Texas, which got hit so hard by this winter where everyone lost their power and people's pipes have frozen and and they have no power, no heat and floods in their houses and when instead of you know being a public servant and staying where you are and helping people, he chose to go to Cancun. And um, when people wanted to report on it, one of the reporters went to his house. Um, to take a picture and the security came over and you know of course because you know he's a senator so he has security and they said and he said there's this dog here alone he said oh the security i'm looking in on it whatever but the dog's little nose was pressed to the glass and it's such a cute dog and you know it's freezing in that house and it was just such a metaphor you know of the carelessness of ted cruz in particular but also you know just other people and i use this metaphor in this poem i'm going to read to you kind of to talk about something personal not really political but more um you know relationships that i have had where i have felt um abandoned like that or Well, just read the poem, (laughs) I keep going on and on talking. Let me just read the poem. But it is kind of disturbing to me that I used Ted Cruz as a metaphor (laughs) for men who I have dealt with because just even thinking of being with Ted Cruz is um, quite disturbing. But anyway, I am Snowflake for Ted Cruz and his kind. Even a fascist will desire a pet something soft to make him forget how grim he has grown to stay in power i let him feel human for an hour iris's brim a glistened black with the infrequent sociopathic contact you can leave me in the cold a guilty secret you choose to hold on your own terms reprieve from a marauder's life. Think less of than a wife, something you can say you rescued, attention starved and there for you. A man exhausted by a vaingor- glorious coup, knows love will crawl to him across the floor, waits nose on frozen glass, his mansion door. <laughs> and uh, you know, I just, you know, I love, to write about power imbalances. And to me, this is just a story of like, you know, somebody who, I mean, exemplifies all of the worst of that. And this story just represented that to me. And I've, I've been um, on the bad side of power imbalances a lot in my life. So it was just something that I related to, you know, um, somebody kind of stern and evil who wants something cute and lovable to make him feel you know, <laughs> beloved in his spare time for doing bad things, I, I, I've been there. So, um, uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to read the next poem um, that kind of goes, it's the next one that I was going to read to you today. It's kind of an extension of this theme, you know, it's like, again, I guess really I am snowflake. I mean, it's a metaphor, but I am truly like a person who, I feel because of my um, past, it you know I wear that around on me. Like I'm, I'm an easy mark to some people, and like you know I feel like it's been so long, and in some ways I'm very different from you know who I used to be. And you know when I would think that that would be more obvious, but I still think you know particularly like when I put myself in social situations like going and having alcohol and going to bars, things like that, that I wear this, um, not even a shame because I, you know, it's nothing that I did, but I wear my past, you know, the scars are visible the way that like, and that's my metaphor in this was like light up stars in a bedroom on the ceiling that you don't see during the day, but in the night they shine through. And I, I feel like, you know, people take advantage of me at night, you know, when that neediness shines through. And so anyway, I'm going to read that poem to you now. <laughs> Whisper it. Your guilt glows in bars like plastic plastic ceiling stars. Lived through childhood without any physical scars. At least the kind mm sunshine outlines but men all see them plain inside of any bar skin map of zinc sulfide black light stars when you sit near strangers in the dark with the thin marred arms of an easy mark they see their way straight inside vulnerabilities you cannot hide behind your prim pretty sundress they know you honor all requests parking lots alleys suburban woods you speak fluently their faux incest a baby face though they know you're no good you pass for innocent on sunny streets and they will punish you for this deceit and that poem i wrote recently because I, i had this person in my mind who you know made me particularly feel this way when um uh, and I've written other poems about him. Actually, <laughs> I wrote my. Um, there's a poem that I wrote that is one of my favorites. It's um, um, that was published in Eight Poems. It's called Again, and it's about me sitting on a um, kitchen counter in my um, hu- in my house when I was a stripper, and this boy is smoking across the room and telling me again, again, again and it's me pulling up my stockings. I had like thigh high stockings, I'm sitting on this counter and pulling them down and pulling them up and pulling them down and he made me do this endlessly while he was, you know, touching and um smoking alternately. <laughs> but um but it was most like untouchable, you know, where I just felt like this you know I'm coming this like even in my own house, I was stripping for a living and nobody could touch me, and then I felt untouchable in my own house and this was a person who I had dated before I had when I was younger before I stripped, I had dated and um when I was a, I was a high school teacher, and he was treated me incredibly different at that time, even though <sighs> My neighbor just walked by so Sorry. No I'm fine. <laughs> that was a um a little cameo from my neighbor who wanted to know if I was lost, because usually he always asks me that when I'm walking in the neighborhood. It's just this is his little routine he says, but today I'm sitting in the yard recording so I'm not lost. But anyway. <laughs> Who knows what he thinks that I'm doing? It's talking to myself in the yard with a microphone. <laughs> he's a little, um, you know, uh, I don't know if he's a, a, a podcast um, enthusiast or even someone aware of podcasts. <laughs> so I have no idea what. Anyway, uh, now I have completely lost my train of thought. Um, so <laughs> that was kind of embarrassing too because I was. Telling embarrassing st- no, actually I was at the non-embarrassing part. That's right. I so he met me this um man met me when I was a teacher, and you know I had very I was very young too. I mean I was in my early twenties, and he was we were about the same age. And he we both a thing about both of us was that we kind of is he was actually his nickname when we were you know, back in the stage was Mr. Baby, because, like, I dated a guy named Mr. Baby, but, um, but he was a, um, he had a band, and he was really, um, you know, uh, like, very popular, where we're from, and it was a, um, you know, band that was, you know, kind of, you know, the dangerous kind of boy, you know, but, like, he had this very innocent face, and he was, um, and just like me and it was kind of something I like it was kind of like kismet you know when we were together because we both look like children in a way but we both had this other kind of darker side to us and so in a way I felt I felt like, oh, maybe this is a person who understands me because, like, people judge me by this face that I have nothing I can't control, and yet also people judge me from a past that I can't control, but it does give me a little bit of darkness, even if I didn't choose that darkness, you know? I, I, I should say, like, um, it gives me a knowledge, you know, that I didn't choose to have, but you still have it, and, and I think, you know, I don't know his history, and I don't know where you know, his, you know, little bit of darkness came from. And I and I wouldn't even begin to presume he was a very interesting character, but but I will say he was very, um, like, you know, judgmental of the fact that like when I met him, he took it like a betrayal when he found out, for example, you know, that like I had a sexual he I guess he assumed because I looked Virginal, (laughs) that even, Mm -hmm. and I was 23 years old, or maybe younger when I met him, 22 years old, and that I was this like virginal person, you know, and um, and I would in no way was at that time. I, you know, had spent my life, you know, younger life, being very um controlled by a Mormon family, and then. You know when i got away from that and also being abused and in the guise of like this puritanical um situation so when i escaped all that and i still felt like i wanted to be sexual to me that felt like a triumph you know it's like somebody didn't ruin this for me so i mean i went out and i was wild i was like an animal you know (laughs) this is embarrassing but anyway Um, And I never, you know, but, you know, I guess the way I dressed and that, you know, I had an innocent face and I, you know, whatever, I guess he took it as, oh, you know, like he would, he didn't know these stories about me. And then when we started dating, he would hear stories and it bothered him, even though he had stories equally or more wild You know I would say more you know I would say darker and so I mean I heard many things you know and I didn't you know like hold it against him you know so my the point is but I live in the deep south and there's a double standard and anyway I like I just remember getting in this fight with him when we basically like I mean we weren't really we had you know, had a short dating thing, and, but he was not a person that dated a lot, so he was more of a player, and so, like, I, you know, felt, oh, this means something, you know, because he's spending time with me, and, like, um, in, you know, non-sexual, you know, like, he helped, I had a school play, and he helped me do some things for that play, and, you know, I, I felt like we had something you know the beginning of something that was beyond that but once he started hearing stories about me not like that I was even anything commensurate with when we were we weren't even you know we were newly going out but like nothing that betrayed him should have felt made him feel betrayed but it was older you know things I had done in the past he acted as if I had, you know, presented to him this information that I was a virgin and that he was completely betrayed, you know, and it, like, I mean, like, that is the word he used. He was like, you know, you made me, you know, this, all of this, you know, like, indicating my face, my how I dress, made me think you were innocent, but you're, you know, you're a whore. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, I'll never forget it. I mean, you know, it was, but at the same time, and what was horrible of myself is you know once that situation ended you know it ended for a while we didn't date and then you know we hooked up again but he treated me completely different you know um then I was just a sex object and that was it and and this one particular night he made me feel like I mean he wouldn't talk to me besides telling me what to do um you know like he wouldn't even touch me that night he was just you know and that um Always, you know, I just felt so betrayed by my myself, by this person, but also, you know, and that I betrayed myself. Be with somebody like this because I knew, you know, I, I allowed this to keep happening. But um, I mean, eventually I stopped. But you know, but the point is, you know, I I felt like my past, you know, defined things about me in a way that was unfair too. You know, because i mean once you are made sexually aware you are sexually aware and um like i didn't dare really act out on it um at the very end of my senior year i acted out on it you know but it took that long when i knew i was um gonna you know be leaving and going to puritanical college um you know i did act out on it because i just like out of desperation but i was so scared you know something would happen to me my parents would do something to me you know, like, I mean, my father's rage and temper was so horrible that, you know, I just thought anything happened. I can't, you know, express who I am this way until I'm safe, until I'm not, you know, under their control. And so once I wasn't, you know, I went crazy. And I mean, more crazy than I should have, you know, but this person had no reason to feel betrayed by that. I was no different than him. And... I have obviously have a lot of resentment about that situation. So, anyway, long explanation of that poem. But I'm um, I'm gonna read uh, one more that I like about myself, and then I'm gonna read one I wrote about someone else. Um, but this one, I won't go into a lot of detail because I want to ha- save time to talk about the other poem. But I'm just gonna say that I wrote this one about a friend of mine that. <sighs> You know, I miss the pandemic has like taken people away from us. Not even, and I don't mean um, people that, you know, died or something like that, but also just people that, that inter- you know, like for whatever reason, they aren't al- online like they used to be. And so I, um, here's a poem I wrote called Wish I Had Known You When I Was Able to Watch Mine Hunter. And it was about a friend I had that the pandemic kind of took offline and so we don't really talk because he's not local. And he was always trying to get me to watch Mindhunter and I finally, I wasn't in the state to watch it when we were friends because I had just lost family member I was, that I had helped take care of. I just couldn't watch a lot about death even though I watched true crime and I watched that kind of stuff. I was not in a state for it then. And this was like, we always would talk about everything like we were watching or reading and stuff like that. And anyway, here's the poem. Wish I had known you when I was able to watch mine, Hunter, and not too altered by grief to get through the first suicide. 10 minutes I barely abide, but try because then I would do anything you suggest, though it takes me a year to view the rest. By then you and I don't even speak. We are friends when you were weak. Next prison pet who cannot fly Nurture with hands who allow another to die. If only metaphorically, eventually the same with me. We both live to know you as a ghost. When I'm asleep, you come nigh. Hug me like Ed Ed Kemper did. The FBI agent who treated him like a friend. Everyone's disposable in the end. And yeah, I guess it's just a poem about... um, serial killers and ghosters <laughs> and um, you know it is what it is you know but I wanted to spend the rest of the time on today um, I, I was really um, honored beyond like I have had such a hard time in the past year and then this you know waiting on I won't say the house word again but you know I just did but um, all this stuff that's going on in my life and I also have you know just have a lot of complications that are you know affected my ability to write as much and you know it's just more of a struggle which i'm sure is common for a lot of people but it's just been a hard time and you know i've just had um i just feel like everything is a battle you know and so and i'm not a person who um i don't um people always send me things about p- contests and if you see a thing about a sonnet contest or poem contest i don't do those i don't feel Um, it's my own problem you know I don't feel good enough to do contests or feel mentally I just it's not I don't know you know what I mean I don't have any judgment about I'm always happy for people who do contests but I don't do them so it's hard to get a writing award though if you don't Believe in contest like you truly have to be nominated by someone else so i don't you know i, I don't have that experience of i mean i've gotten nominations in the past for you know push wrestling, um best of the net but i've never um gotten beyond the press level you know where the presses nominate to I've never went to the second round and this time was the first year and i was shocked that i made um best of the net um finalist where the, you know, Sunday, uh, <laughs> sundress Sunday, um, uh, picks, you know, from all the presses and they pick, you know, they pick winners, but then before they pick the winners, they pick, you know, that go in the book and I didn't make it that far, but I made it into the finalist of all the, and I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant to me because it just came at a time when I needed, I really needed to hear, you know, that you know I mattered that it mad, my, what I was doing mattered to somebody because it just feels like just I'm fighting different battles of you know trying to get you know with the pandemic everyone's fighting a battle publishers are fighting a battle trying to get books that they've accepted out I've had you know a couple of situations where a couple of my books are you know just kind of in limbo you know and it's like very frustrating um you know you just feel like And it's not personal. I mean, you know, people can't help it, you know, their circumstances, but it does make you feel, you know, like, huh, you know, can I catch a break? So it was wonderful to catch a break from Sundress. (laughs) And and especially this poem that they nominated, um, which is called Addiction, and it's from a book I have called The Stakes, which is in Lumbo right now (laughs) somewhere. I'm hoping, you know, it comes out of limbo and um <laughs> anyway if everyone cross your fingers but um it's uh the book is about um many things it's about my own fear my own situation because like i um have a lot of issues about fire because i grew up in a house in addition to being abused by with a firefighter who was like very um and it kind of his um, uh, way he would, um, talk about fire was, like, grossly, um, detailed and, like, not age appropriate, you know, it was almost, I would say, abusive in itself, you know, and the details I would know very young about, you know, fires and everything, and, like, you know, we weren't allowed to have candles, like, you know, stuff like that, I mean, anything, because so scared of fire, plus there were I just felt um at times i was made to feel like fire you know i just conflated it with my abuse for different reasons of being threatened things like that so um i have a lot of feelings about fire and then i read the story of jessica chambers who was a girl in mississippi who was burned alive and they never haven't caught her killer to this day they have you know had hearings and stuff about, you know, suspects and everything. But um you know, a lot of details came out about her life. She had a very hard life. You know, she was only um 19 when she was burned alive and she had had a bit, you know, she's a f- drug dealer. She was living in p- in poverty, you know, and she was doing what she could to survive, you know, and it wasn't a pretty picture. And, um, so for a lot of reasons, I think, you know, she got maligned a lot in the press, you know, um, though, you know, anyway, and so I, I wrote a lot, several poems about her because, Reading her story brought back a lot of things to me, but this is a story about addiction because I related. She was also an addicted person, and that's why she sold drugs because, you know, if you're poor and you're addicted to drugs, I mean, to get access to them, what are you going to do? So, um, and not saying that that is correct behavior, but saying also as I was a person who was addicted to drugs at the time, and when I, um... I know what, and also addicted to men, and so I know what these two things feel like. And so anyway, I'm gonna read Addiction. And thank you again, Sundress. Addiction for Jessica Chambers. Forsake repercussions, unawake, baked, pajama pants, relapse naps, means undiscussed Sunday visits to your big brother's grave, where you're months later laid. Though still just a teenager, Danger addicted. Meth crack weed. Dominant boys enjoy what wet need. Rides them. Reclined. Passenger seat. Death threats with hammers for your drug-dealing greed. Placebo lore tabs. Purchased at Fred's. Pharmacy. OTC to sell. Day you die, you have sex for Taco Bell. It's said, snide, side-eyed, emojied by bloggers who may never be this destitute demeaned to sell a starving skeleton 19 and also i have to thank um taco bell quarterly because that's who published this poem originally and um when i sent it to them they were like are you sure you want to publish it here because you know at that time like you know they were new i was in their second second um uh issue and they were like you know um I mean, not to say that we don't publish, you know, high art, but we also do publish, you know, kind of low art, too, and, like, you know, you might be, you know, whatever, but they treated this with such care. I mean, they were concerned for it and because they believed in it and they treated it with such care and beauty and had me write like an artistic statement and everything about the book, which is going to be, it's the beginning of the manuscript of the book now. So it really helped me to, um, define what, what the story was about for me and how I got into these stories, um, uh, you know, about women and fire and history and my own history. So, um, I was just so thrilled you know to um that both of us talk about quarterly and I both had like a return on our you know (laughs) investment in literature you know and got recognized and also that Jessica Chambers story I mean you know keeps getting recognized because you know she really I I feel for her so much I mean uh, you know for every person out there like for anything that I have suffered people have Die. you know women have died because of abuse and I'm humbled by that all the time I had a neighbor when I um in my last neighborhood I lived in I had to move out of it was a child um Dorica who um died of her child abuse and I knew her and I didn't know I knew she was a victim of poverty but I did not know she was you know being abused and I for the rest of my life I'll regret you know that I didn't pick up on that and, you know, act, do something, report it, you know, because she never is going to have the opportunity like I did to, you know, sit around in her yard as an adult and process these things and get and try, you know, and move on and and create beautiful things. Her story ends there and that's, there's no more worse tragedy than that, you know. So, anyway, I'm going to go now on that bleak note. But thank you guys for all being a part of my story as it continues. And now it's getting loud here with cars. I live close to a bridge. (laughs) I hear a lot of traffic. So I hope you're hearing me. But thank you for listening to Kristen Whisper Sonnets. And I will be back next week. Who knows what sonnets I'll be reading about. But it will be um, whispered. And it will be... Um, I hope entertaining. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay.